1: Hello everyone, thanks for joining me, Jake Cunningham, for another Curzon Film Podcast. I'm sat at a big table, there's some Dave Brubeck playing, I'm rolling out some blueprints, and around me I've got a Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, a Leon Spinks, not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever, and of course... Sam Haller and Kelly Powell. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Good. Yeah, oh, good. Good. You. Uh, if you hadn't guessed, it's a heist film this week. It's American Animals. This is Bart Layton, the director of The Imposter, and he has once again fused together documentary and fiction film to create uh, what maybe the heist film to end all heist films. Um, what were we? What were we thinking with this one? Our anticipation levels
2: high. Yeah. <laughs> Very high. Yeah.
1: As, have either of you seen The Imposter? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the BAFTA winner for documentary in 2012 which is crazy mm. that it's six years ago and it took six years for Bart that's to crazy. come out for another film. Docu yeah. Noir. Doki Noir.
2: Yeah. yeah. That, um, was a, that was a great film.
1: So was... good. Uh, uh, that's one of those films where I can remember mm. the cinema that I was in when I was watching it. Oh, I really? really loved that one. Uh, shout out to the Electric Palace in Hastings. <laughs> um, is it still open? It's still going. Oh, good. Yeah? yeah, yeah. And we've uh, we've actually got an interview with Bart. That Kelly, you were lucky enough to yeah. sit down and talk through American Animals, mm-hmm. and we'll be uh, we'll be going through that later. Um, but how how would we describe American Animals? Because it is it is a tough one. Well, I w- I went to a Q and A with Bart, and he emphatically said afterwards, "This is not a documentary."
2: Yes, it's not.
1: But I mean, the amount of press that is covering that angle, it slightly know, yeah.
3: is. It's a. Uh... Well, it's, uh, it's
2: peppered it's, with documentary <laughs> yeah. um, elements, light I guess. A sw- yeah, yeah. A light yeah. A sprinkle. Yeah, um, it's
3: similar to what he did with the imposter in a way, but no, the I, think, very I think much it's,
2: I think it's like mirror, mirror, it mirrors each other because I think the imposter's is definitely a documentary, but it's 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 got a, quite a heavy fictional element mm. in terms of like the reenactment and the way that he puts the narrative together. Whereas this one, I think it's definitely a narrative film or a fiction film, but I think that it's. It's heavily influenced by documentary mm. um, elements. The, yeah.
1: the opening title is This is Not Based on a True Story, and then the not right, the fades the out. I asked him about that.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, I look <laughs> yeah. forward to hearing yeah, that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and it's, I think, to me, that when I watch the film, it's not necessarily a true story, uh, but it's, it's based on truths mm. and uh, subjective truths. And I think like, that's what I think is really interesting about the film and something that Bart plays a lot with. And it's obviously really interested in when you think of the imposter and the roots yeah. that that goes down mm-hmm. as well. Um, so just to give some background on the film, uh, Bart takes the heist movie into bold new territory. With the unbelievable but true story of four young men who attempt one of the most audacious art heists in US history, Barry Keegan and Evan Peters play two friends from the middle class suburbs of Lexington, Kentucky, who upon enrolling in college, realise that their lives may in fact never be important or special in any way. Determined to live lives that are out of the ordinary, they plan the brazen theft of some of the world's most valuable books from the special collections room of the college library. Kelly, do you want to just lead us into this uh, this interview with Bart? Um, What can we expect to hear?
2: Yeah, uh, he he goes uh, into some depth with some of his answers, which is really nice um, to hear his thinking and the way that he processes things and and the making. I I asked him a lot about like the the actual making of the film, Um, and he's just a delight to talk to. And uh, I hope you enjoy Bart Layton. Thank you so much for joining us on the Curzon Film Podcast. And congratulations with your new film, American Animals. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It's a, I thought it was a, a clever, multi-layered and affecting film that plays around with a documentary and the so-called narrative fil- film form. And I was just mm-hmm. wondering a little bit about what inspired you to tell the story in that way.
4: Well, thanks for all of that. Um, I guess what inspired me to tell the, the film in that way? Um, well, my background is docs. Um, and so there's always that thing of, um, I guess I always have that feeling, you know, when you go into, a, uh, a movie and it says based on a true story at the beginning, you think, oh, okay, how much is that giving, you know, the writers and, and director license to kind of depart wildly from, from the truth. And, you know, and we all have that sort of sense that actually probably a lot of it is made up and then you come out of the cinema you start googling Mm. you know what these people actually like and what they really said um and with this it was two things really it was one that the story was so sort of outrageous and and bizarre and also it was sort of a a a story about life imitating movies in a way Mm. that and it didn't need a lot of exaggerating or or fictionalizing you know it felt like I could, I didn't want to take huge artistic license with it, you know, it, of course, if you're writing dialogue, you and you're writing a screenplay, you are doing that. But at the same time, I wanted it to be really clear to the audience that this isn't just based on the truth. It, it is a true story. And it mm. and what you're going to see is real. And that it felt to me that because so much of what the crime was about was not just about, you know, the money and Mm. uh, it was about these rather lost young men Mm. who'd been raised on an expectation that their lives were going to be a certain way and that they were going to be special and interesting and uh, important Mm. and and actually get to a place where they, you know, like most of us do, where they're realizing that probably, you know, they're not going to be special or interesting or important. And but they, they're desperately searching for that, you know, some way in which to leave a mark on the world. And I, I felt like their voices were almost an essential part of 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 the telling of the story, you know, that that without them it would be a much more disposable story, you know, it would be a fun uh ride you know it would be a great caper and a you know a fun heist and an unconventional one given that you know it's not a bank it's a library and it's not you know millions of dollars it's the rarest books in the world and all of that stuff um and so it was really like just thinking how can we elevate this story to a place where you as an audience experience it in a completely different way you know you have an emotional investment in In the story and the characters that I don't think you get from you know a normal kind of based on a true story type thing.
2: Yeah, it definitely adds adds a a, another dynamic to it, and you you kind of it pulls you into the story in a very different way, which I thought was super clever. Um, Right. So I'm actually I'm very interested about how you shot it and what your process was uh, w- once you decided to make the film. Mm-hmm. Um did you did you interview the the real men first and get their testimonials and shoot their testimonials before yeah. the screenplay? Yeah,
4: so left, it it was or? a w- it was a really unconventional um process and most and like you know there wasn't really a template for how you do something like this because I guess you know it hadn't been done before which was which was good on one level but it also makes it really like risky and you know no one knows whether they should invest in something like that or how to schedule it or so the so the process was that I cuz when I started writing the script the real guys were in in prison and so I would we would write letters back and forth mm. um and uh I was working with um my co producer Poppy who I worked with on The Imposter mm. and you know, and and I sent her down to meet with them uh in prison and she visited them and did an interview and then we would take those letters and the interviews, um and I would write the screenplay around that, around the things that they had said. Okay. And then when they eventually came out of prison, uh, we went and shot the, so I got the film Finance based on the script, okay. which had
2: So you wrote the screenplay first? I right? wrote the
4: screenplay okay. first with what I expected them to say based on stuff that they'd already said in okay. letters and phone calls and all that. All right. And then when we sat down to shoot the interviews with them after they came out of prison, you know, they said a lot of what I'd expected them to say, but they didn't say a lot of it. And they also said a lot of other stuff that so I was like, oh, crap you know how do you have you know i've sold the screenplay but of course the thing you don't want to do is try and get real people to perform you know exactly you don't want that to try and turn them into actors because then the thing that they are there to do which is to provide a kind of a level of authenticity and and this quite striking note of of reality i guess you know that evaporates if you're trying to get them to give lines or exactly and you know and at one point, you know, I was saying, you, you know, you did say this before. Would you say that again? And then I just realized, you know, actually, you know, what we've got to do is go back to um, just how you would shoot this as a normal doc and start the interview at the beginning and go all the way through it. And so then I had to phone back the producers. To the board, yeah, not back to the drawing board, but a little bit. And I had to phone the producers and say, look, you know what? I need to rewrite the script, not around what I expect them to say but actually around what they have said and some of it is going to be w- it's going to make it way better okay. I wasn't sure it would but <laughs> yeah. I think actually in the end it did it, it okay. ended up more poignant and yeah. more emotional and yeah, yeah
2: yeah yeah and so did you storyboard like super intensively or did a lot of it come together uh, in the
4: edits? no I'm really like uh, partly because I'd never really made a a kind of fiction film before yeah. and I was felt very you know uh, out of my depth you know like I didn't have that experience and it was also a real you know no one kept no one stopped telling me like what an ambitious screenplay it was even for like a really you know I even sat down with um, Danny Boyle at one point and uh, and he was like wow okay you really <laughs> picked uh, <laughs> like an ambitious first film and um, and so I felt kind of terrified about showing up and not really having uh, enough of a plan. So I did. I, I storyboarded, um, you know, the whole thing. Not with, even with a view to really showing anyone. Okay. Uh, I showed a few things to my cinematographer. But no, it was more just to have a real sense of how it was going to flow.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, and rhythmically as well. It's mm. very much, you know, it's, there's a real specific kind of rhythmic um ebb and flow to to the movie you know yeah. so part of what i want to do is make sure that you know i know that i'm going from quiet to loud or i'm going from dark to light mm. or i'm going from close to wide and you know that that as you you know that there's transitions in the movie are quite yeah. complicated uh-huh. as well and so yeah so i i um I, I spent a long time with a guy called temple clark who's a, who's a brilliant. Um, kind of collaborator he's more than just a storyboard he's just someone we, you know and we talk the whole film
2: through wow yeah. that's amazing yeah um, okay I, d- I wanted to ask specifically about yeah. your um, your tongue in, almost tongue in cheek use of titles in the film mm-hmm. um, what what what, what do titles sort of represent and like why did you choose to play around with them in that way coming from a dark background
4: um, so you mean captions and captions you know like yeah, yeah. yeah um well, I guess it comes back to you know that thing we were talking about at the beginning about that idea. That, you know, we walk into the cinema and it says this is based on a true story, and then you're like, mm, okay, based on what does that mean? Like, how based on is it? And so the movie starts with this caption that says this is not based on a true story, and then that
2: fades away,
4: fades away, <laughs> and you get this is a true story, and that again is like to try and make sure that it's like okay, wake up, we're not gonna, you know, we, we you know, it's it's kind of fun, but it's also sort of making a point that. This is very close to to the truth, and and we're going to have when the real people show up. Um, you know, I mean, even you know, I've had a lot of Q and As in in mainly in the states mm. uh, where people still put up their hand at the end of the movie and say, Are "the real guys," the real guys, and it, it does say uh, over them the real Spencer, the real warrant. Yeah. You know, um, and I guess it's partly because they look kind of handsome and they're very charismatic that you kind of think more well, are they actors as well so i guess some of that was intended to be sort of ironic and some of it was just intended to make sure that you know because even with the imposter a load of people thought the imposter was a complete work of yeah. fiction you know and yeah. even though it was a doc so it was yeah. to try and curb some and then you know there are a few places where <laughs> again um uh you know i mean you can tell me more specifically the bits you're referencing but i guess you know part of the captions are i guess like like most of the devices in the movie yeah. are intended to pull you back into the reality of that this really happened yeah. you know it's like i know it feels a lot like a movie but this at what you're seeing actually happened and mm. and if you remember that then you're gonna be more you're gonna lean in a bit more and you're gonna be like oh, where is this actually gonna end yeah and you sort of feel like you're a bit more mm. um you're able to participate a little bit more in it
2: i think the, the the one that sort of got me was the double use of i mean i don't want to give anything away
4: the day of the robbery yeah the day of
2: the robbery it, it yeah. kind of like you know it's a it's just a clever way of of of, of like sort of reminding you like oh okay it kind of makes you c- conscious yeah. of of what's going on, and yeah,
4: there was a bit of debate about that. I thought it was fun because, you know, and it, you know, we don't want to spoil it for people, but I guess you know there are two days of the robbery, and and uh, it sort of felt like <coughs> it was sort of a way. I guess it was a way of kind of nodding at the not the incompetence of the protagonist but about the fact that (laughs) that they um kids (laughs) you know yeah that they didn't really have a plan you know that just yeah so it's sort of like in the spirit of yeah sort of how ridiculous it was i guess okay yeah all
2: right i just wanted to ask you know with the imposter as well as this this film Mm -hmm. it seems like you have a focus on your protagonist sort of search for and construction of identity mm, what what's what what is important about that subject matter for you oh
4: god i mean it's a really good question uh i mean i think this is a different this is different from the imposter you know there a lot of you know you're absolutely right you know the imposter was absolutely about you know identity but it was a, and it was about you know it was a con man story so it was about deception but it was probably more to my mind it was more about self deception in a way you know what are the lies that we need to believe in a way um, with this i feel like we are in increasingly in a culture where our identities are sort of constructed or 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 caught up in they're sort of defined by the way other people see us you know that we that we you know that that everyone is broadcasting you know we have our mm. Twitter accounts and our Instagram accounts and our you know snapchat whatever it is and you know and and I watch you know particularly recently you know being having spent quite a bit of time in America you know I really watched you know these teenagers mm. living n- not really experiencing anything but wanting to cap wanting to video it all and then make sure that everyone knows saw it. Yeah. yeah that everyone saw it and that everyone knows that they 're at this hip place with these. Mm other gorgeous people and that, you know, and I've seen so much of this sense that our self esteem and our idea of ourselves is all caught up in how much we need other people to um, perceive us a certain way. Mm. Uh, and that we're not necessarily thinking this is, this is who I am. And this is like, you know, this is, this is what I want to do for me. It, it, we, we need, to um, we need other people to kind of think we're you know fabulous and in, in, in order to feel fabulous mm. so I guess and and so with this, a lot of what I felt was driving the crime was this sense that these guys needed they didn't want it there was a huge pressure just to not be ordinary yeah you know not to be a nobody yeah and it almost doesn't matter what your leaving why you're leaving a mark on the world whether it's a good mark or a bad mark as long as you're yeah a somebody
0: mm.
4: you know i was interviewed by a journalist a really young college journalist in seattle recently and she said you know there's a real she said the film hit home so much for her and her friends because there's a real sense that you know if we don't have a wikipedia page written about us by the time we're 40 will that mean that we're not successful yeah. And so success the, that idea of success mm. <coughs> uh, I think in our culture has really shifted, you know, yeah. from, you know, like what these kids' parents had, which was nice car, nice house, all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's what the American dream Security used to be. Security and... Yeah, whereas now it's so much about, you know, fame and, and fame seems very reachable I think yeah. you know it seems yeah. so much more tangible than I think it probably did yeah. you know when and I was a kid
2: almost the goal you know rather totally than, yeah. yeah
4: and and yeah. that idea you know that's why you know the strap line on the poster is nobody wants to be ordinary and mm. I think that's that's a big part of what the crime was about and I and ultimately for me it's a big part of what the movie's about yeah
2: and I'm being cheeky because we've run out of time but yeah, this no, is a, a question that I really wanted to ask yeah. you art and expression through art in whatever form that mm. it, it might take seems to play a, a, like it's very you know uh, thematically significant in your film um and so i wanted to ask um you know on many levels but i wanted to ask what uh, the for you what the role of art plays in the film the story and also in the lives of the people that you portray
4: yeah god these are good questions and they're not easy to answer I know. quickly um i, know. I guess uh <laughs> You know, it's something I think about a lot because, you know, both my parents were artists and, uh, well, my dad still is. um, You know, uh, there is that question. You know, part of what's driving Spencer, who's the lead character in the film, he wants to be an artist, but he's like, you know, my life is just too nice. What am I ever going to have? You know, every artist he's ever read about has had trauma and Mm. suffering and... Some kind of, you know, tragedy in their childhood, and he's thinking, "Well, I can paint pretty pictures, brilliantly, which he can. But what? How am I actually going to become an artist?" And Mm. I think, you know, he's so he's longing for this life experience that's going to qualify him to make art. And I think, you know, you know, something I think about is, you know, my you know my mum was a painter and a theatre director. She didn't really think about the audience a whole lot she just had to do she had to just create art and express whereas I guess I'm much more caught up in the need for people to see it and like it and you know and and with that comes that question of well is that art if you know isn't art just something that you just have to kind of put you know you have to express this idea or this thing you know whereas um so you know does that make you a lesser
0: mm.
4: artist and you know so i i think you know and i think one of the things y- that i wanted to i wanted to include the artwork from audubon you know the book that they steal mm. is this incredible work of art and one mm. of the things that spencer envies about audubon is that he was he also grew up in kentucky mm. or, or spent time in kentucky and but he went off into the wilderness and sort of found himself and had this purpose of mm. painting every bird in America. And Spencer, he hasn't found that purpose. He hasn't had his time in the wilderness to mm. figure out who he is and, and find out his voice and his art. And I guess all of that comes back to your question of identity. Mm. You know, Can you be an artist if you don't really have suffering or if Uh, you haven't found out who you are and all the rest of it
2: and what you want to say i guess yeah Yeah.
4: and actually you know they you know his his trip into the wilderness became this this robbery and uh and you know i guess it's up to audiences to try and think about you know whether it delivered the thing that they wanted it to deliver or whether it left them right back where they started
2: yeah before we get um, shouted, I think I'm going to end it and okay. say thank you very much.
4: Oh, total pleasure. Um, is yeah. it, it,
2: have you got anything else in the pipeline that we can look forward to?
4: Uh, so the next thing will be, that, you know, it's not a true story, but it almost could have been. And there's a kind of and it's also that's a sort of dark, twisted, slightly comic thriller, um, also set in the south, deep okay. south. And American, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah, American, American focus. I don't, know, I, think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Probably watching too many American movies. And there's a whole kind of Trumpian sort of oh, cool. overtone to the hmm. story. You know, it's about a charlatan who people don't want to believe is a charlatan
0: sort of thing.
2: Okay. Awesome. I look forward
0: to it. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Okay, so that was Bart Layton talking about American animals. If you've got anything you want to say about American animals, don't forget to... You can email us at podcast at curzon.com and we can read those out in future episodes of the show. I think there's a lot to talk about with this one, so we would be really interested to hear what you listeners are thinking. But what are you guys thinking? Uh, I've, had, I've had a couple
3: of days now to mull it over, but mm. you've had months mm. to maybe mull it over as well. Or a we, few yeah, weeks. we're at the same press screening. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, initially... You liked it a lot more than I did, mm. um, but I think over time I've thought more about it and it's settled in a nice place in my brain now. Mm. In what in what I think it is and what I think it's doing,
2: I walked out very excited. Mm. I, it's just a film. I think that like say what you want about it, but it's just it's an exciting piece of filmmaking. I think he's doing a very uh, innovative things with narrative and form. Um, And it's just, it it was just, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, you know, like he just keeps you. Mm. He yeah, just he's keeps you in his, ramping yeah. up oh.
1: tension. Stakes really so good. Uh twisting and turning in every way that you'd want a heist movie yeah, to go. Yeah, exactly. But cuz it's bringing that edge of the subjective truth mm. uh, and mm-hmm. his, his form really changes as well. Yeah. Um it's it's fantastic. Um so let's let's take it back to the start of this story. We've got uh Barry Keegan and Evan Peters. They're they are our, our key characters. Uh Evan plays Warren Lipka and uh Barry plays Spencer Reinhardt. Warren is uh kind of maybe the the loose canon of this yeah. one uh he's your your Brad Pitt maybe <laughs> um he's he's laid back yet yeah, charismatic uh nothing unpredictable. kind unpredictable of, yeah he is but he he just has the complete confidence that they will pull it off and then Barry Keegan Spencer Reinhardt mm-hmm. he is a young art student he gets um disillusioned by his college life and just needs to inject something in it that's going to maybe give them the excitement that they didn't actually get or they feel like they they need in life to become special
2: well yeah I think um Bart goes into this in the interview as you just heard but it's that feeling of like how can I be an artist and not have lived a a life to say something worth saying you Mm -hmm. know so I think that that's where Spence is sort of uh Motivations came from.
1: Yeah, and it was quite nice to see Barry Keegan. <laughs> in my head, he is just killing of a sacred deer. Uh, mm. yeah and Creep, Creepy kid. <laughs> yeah, and in this, he's not actually that no, creepy at not. all. Oh, yeah. He's so likable. Yeah, well, mm. uh, as is, uh, quote, the real mm. Spencer Reinhardt. Mm. Um, so it's not only uh, we've got the characters of Warren Lipka and Spencer Reinhardt, we have Warren Lipka and Spencer Reinhardt and the other members of the team, Chaz Allen, Eric Borsuk. And what is great about these uh, documentary sections uh, in inverted quotes is that they are rather than give them the their name, they say the real, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. which just by adding that mm. makes you question all of that as
3: well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, constantly, you're unaware of what you really, how much salt you're taking mm. with every shot of this film, and they all contradict each other as well. Mm. Like uh, is it the guy they meet in Amsterdam, he's uh, sometimes it was an old man, and like Udo Kier, yeah. But another guy that he meets, like when he first described oh, him, yeah. it was like an old yeah. man, and then when the other guy described him, no, 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 it was a young man, a young guy in a suit or something. Oh, it's
2: in New York. I think they go yeah, yeah. to New York. The, yeah, New York. Yeah.
3: and they keep what? changing what they remember, where mm, they had yeah. the first conversations, mm. who, had, who said that first, who had that first idea. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. what location they were in. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so. Uh, and I, love I
1: think it. this brings into what I, is the out of all the craft on show in the film. I think it's the editing that is. Uh, yeah, which brings it all yeah. together. Uh, it snaps along. It's fantastic. Like there's so much energy to it. You know, Knows when to amp it up he knows when to slow it down mm. and that ties into how the camera moves yeah. around um, and his understanding of genre convention and when to bring in traditional documentary elements like handheld camera reducing that sound he even um like takes the for the documentary elements the sound is in mono so it's coming straight at you mm. but in yeah, the yeah. more fantasy genre elements it's uh surround sound mm. and it's got this constant uh contrast yeah Yeah, but this contrast of kind of fantasy and reality and always blending it so these chaps they uh they're bored uh they're entitled middle class uh white kids in America, and they need to inject something into their life. So they decide to steal uh, these books from the library, uh, which are worth up to, I think it's mentioned, about $12 million. Uh, And in doing so, they decide to watch endless heist films and plan out the ultimate heist. Um, And then that's where I think Bart starts to have a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can see that this is his, his love letter, to this genre and yeah. that's when it really clicked in for me uh, I texted, texted you afterwards after I saw this saying like how can, they, how can there be heist films <laughs> after American Animals after it's deconstructed it so well um, what did you think about when it, when it get, moves into more of that uh, It's not like I suppose Tarantino would be a touchstone of that, that yeah. genre mimicry homage
3: well I think for me one of the most interesting things about a film that I've realised more after seeing it is that these guys are toxic fanboys Mm. they're fanboys that have taken the genre this uh you know cultural thing they like way too seriously and all they do is watch it and think that's cool i want to do that they think i don't think what they do they do out of spite or out of being bad people i think what they do is out of a boredom and b they want to they want their lives to be a movie Mm -hmm. and they just completely misinterpret every single heist film and then apply that to their own lives
1: it's interesting you say that because I think, I think they do interpret them. Mm. I think they interpret them as exactly the message that they put out there. Yeah. Um, and I think what American Animals is about is uh, it's someone pining after a genre mm. uh, and having
3: to reconcile with its flaws. And it's like... Yeah, it's all I think they realise too late yeah. the problem uh, I, yeah, exactly. of being in a heist film. Most heist films don't end well mm. for the heisters the oceans films yeah, the do oceans, they're yeah. very and they're very glamorized in the yeah. the heisting mm. but i
2: think it's interesting you say that they i think that you're right they want to live out this fantasy this mo- they yeah. want to be the, the the lead characters in a movie surprise surprise they are mm-hmm. but um, i think that where it becomes interesting for me uh, particularly is the sort of conflict between that fantasy world and how it translates into reality and the real consequences that actions in real life have on real people basically.
1: And this is what I think it's it is fantastic when it takes what in so many other heist films is a throwaway moment uh, and in this turns it into the moment that they step over the line Uh, like take take any heist film there's probably going to be a moment where some security guy gets well, pulled into a closet yeah. and then uh, they walk out yeah. wearing their like clothes yeah, yeah. No, exactly. uh, yeah. and then it's that moment that ch- changes these guys mm. yeah, 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 and they uh, realise that they to steal the books there's a nice uh, librarian played by Anne Dowd always unsettling to see Anne Dowd being nice uh, but she, she has to be taken out of the situation yeah. and so they have a taser and bind her and it's really horrible, horrible scene, scene to watch yeah and i mean you, even
2: the lead-up to that you know mm. they, they are kind of like yeah nobody wants to do it yeah. <laughs> yeah and
1: and you think how often have we seen that scene take place and it's completely yeah, glossed yeah. over yeah. there's no one's thinking about consequences or pain or trauma or anything like that and you can see in the performances of the guys when they that moment happens it's they regret it instantly and then you in the form of the film it, all the way up to the heist, you've got these long dolly shots. Mm. Uh, it's really, really smooth. Mm. Yeah, it's so. It's cut to the music. It's really rhythmic. It's seductive. Mm. And then the moment that yeah. they take her down, it changes. We're back in oh, handheld tone, documentary. Yeah, 100%. And it's exhausting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and
2: everything starts to sort of unravel for them. Yeah. And, yeah.
3: Yeah. The heist, without going into too much detail, the heist goes really badly wrong. But like. <laughs> Embar- it's not like it's not like Reservoir Dogs where it's just chaos and there are people getting killed and everything's unfolding. It's just like embarrassing. Mm. <laughs> it goes yeah. embarrassingly well, wrong. So are re- people like yeah. dropping things and like scrambling around and like the lift goes go you know and like people throwing up. And I
2: think it's in that kids. In, in that in that in those yeah. moments they're real people. Mm. I think yeah, that yeah, yeah. they, they, they it, it, it he's so clever in the way that he does it is like he takes you completely out of the fantasy zone and puts you straight back into. Uh, even though it's part of the genre the, the the narrative part of the movie, you feel like they they they're they're just real people <laughs>
1: I haven't heard the the interview yet um, but uh, in terms of the editing mm. as well the we've talked about this blending of the documentary footage of the real guys and the um, the actors. Mm. Uh, at the start of the film, you're almost 50-50 between mm. uh, the actors and the real guys. And then gradually over the first two thirds of the mm. film, it reduces and reduces and we're more in the world of the actors. Uh, so we, can, we like the guys, have become immersed in the fantasy and we've got trapped in it. Exactly. We've almost forgotten about the real world. Yeah. Mm. And then it's that snap. Mm. It's that back to reality and Then we see, uh, we see Spencer. Yeah, Yeah. we see Spencer, the real Spencer. We see the real Warren, and Mm. we think, "Oh God, you did this! You Mm. actually
3: did this horrible Mm. thing!" And Mm. it's got this interesting thing of that was one of their lives to be a movie, and now it is. But they're not really the heroes of the movie. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, they're just kind of.
2: This movie's so (laughs) multi-layered. I love it.
3: They're just kind of. It ends with them kind of in a kind of pathetic sort of place. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, You know, they—they are there.
2: Well, I don't they're... think that's a bit harsh. I think I think you you, because of the way that it's done, and because he takes you step by step through the way mm. that they rationalized it, and and you know all throughout you know. I think that he that he's that he makes Bart Layton makes you like these guys and sympathize with these guys as well, but recognize that they did something wrong and they themselves do as well so yeah. you kind of go through the same sort of cycle that they've almost done themselves yeah. you know you come to realize that like they they are extremely remorseful for what not mm. to say that they did the, that it's the that it's right or or okay that they did what they did but i think they know that you know yeah. and i think it's good that he shows that sort of arc
0: yeah
1: um and i think that ties into bart's own reconciliation with this genre mm. that i think that like, this story comes up you've got to immerse yourself in it you've got to realize its flaws yeah. you've got to see the damage that it could potentially do mm-hmm. and you think so many of those other films mm. will get to that traumatic point uh that bit where these guys cross the line and in and it highlights to you how in so many other films the line's not even there it's not even addressed mm. yeah um I think yeah. it's really fantastic and what is great to hear is that um Betty Jean who is the librarian who suffered at the hands of these men uh she loves the film mm. as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she was the main person that he wanted the blessing of before yeah. showing the film to anyone took it round to her house. They sat down and watched it with her husband. Her husband was asleep within 20 minutes. <laughs> she found it a bit boring. Um, and it's the least boring film. It's one of the least boring yeah. films of the year. That's, that's American Animals. And that's in cinemas this Friday. Do make sure you go and check it out. I mentioned the stuff about the mono and the surround sound and things like that. I think that tells you how much Bart is thinking of this as a cinema release. Mm. So please go and yeah. watch it on a big screen. It looks amazing as well. Yeah. Um, so it's Ola Berkland and he's actually shot The Little Stranger, which is out in a couple of weeks as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, really great cinematographer. Um, however, you maybe don't fancy the cinema this weekend. Uh, if you wanted to stay in and watch c- something on Curzon Home Cinema, maybe you could watch something there. Sam, what's out?
3: Cold War. Just watch Cold War. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, we did the show on it last week, and we spoke to Iwasha Kulig and Thomas Kott, uh, and they're incredible in it. The film's incredible. Watch Cold War.
1: And it will take up 84 minutes of your life. Exactly. You could watch yeah. it twice. Yeah. Um, and that is, so that's available, American Animals in cinemas. But it's not the only thing in cinemas this weekend as well. Uh, there's another film called The Miseducation education of Cameron Post. And we love it so much, we've done another episode of this podcast as well. We've doubled up for you. Um, and so we've got an interview for that as well. With uh, writer-director Desiree Akavan. Yes. And uh, So that will be, depending on whether you've listened to this one first or <laughs> whether that one first,
3: uh, go and listen you know to what, that it's one. You like it's like Jack Reacher. It's like the Jack Reacher books. You, there's no chronological order. Just yeah. pick and choose as you go along. Yeah, It's fine. Uh, okay. Uh, so remember, if you've got any thoughts on American
1: Animals or Cold War even, uh, or the miseducation of Cameron Post even, e- e- ah! Yeah. <laughs> email them to podcast at curzon.com for next week's show. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Lucky. That's starring Harry Dean Stanton in his final role and directed by everyone's favorite, that guy I recognize, John Carroll Lynch. <laughs> uh, so make sure you check that out. And one final thing to mention uh, Open City Dock Fest has started. That's a citywide celebration of the art of non fiction, very relevant to this week's show. Uh, we're lucky enough to be showing a few of the films at the Bertha Dock House screen at our Bloomsbury site, as well as six films at Curzon Soho across this weekend. Uh, the one that I'm really interested in is uh, Golden Dawn Girls. Uh, this is about the women who stepped up to lead the far right Golden Dawn Party in Greece when the party's leaders were put behind bars uh, it's from a Norwegian director called Havard Busnes and he'll be about for a Q&A that's on Saturday night uh, but check out the rest of the programme as well and uh, oh actually there's a new Curzon magazine out isn't there Sam?
3: there is indeed uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is on the front cover yep. and uh, there's also a feature in there about uh, about uh upcoming release
1: yeah who's written that release? <laughs> yeah, I don't know
3: maybe me yeah, yeah it is me yep. yeah uh, I've written a piece about the bad times at the R.I.L. Uh, which is Drew Goddard's latest film. He, of course, is the writer and director of Cabin in the Woods, so, uh, yeah, very interesting indeed. It's uh, basically me wondering what the film might be about because I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but you are excited I'm about it. I'm very excited it. about that's it, the main yeah. Thing. It looks very fun. Baton to the Royale. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Um, so, that's it for this week's show. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us a review or a comment as well. That would be wonderful. And you can keep up with us on Twitter. You can follow Kelly at
2: KS underscore Powell,
1: Sam at uh, Sam Howler underscore one and me at Jake H. Cunningham. Until then, it's bye from me, and we'll go back around. Bye from Kelly. Ciao. And bye from Sam.
3: Bye from Sam.
0: (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.